Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Do you realize two weeks from this very moment, we will be discussing a football game. We will be discussing the youths and Weber State because they played two weeks from last night. The college football season is almost here. We've been talking about it for a while. And finally, it is nearly here for us to enjoy. Uh, Two weeks from tomorrow night, BYU will be playing... The Arizona Wildcats in Las Vegas, a game I expect the Cougars to win. Arizona's got a new coaching staff and a ton of issues to address. But you still got to do it. It doesn't matter what the odds makers say or what media people say. They got to go out there and get it done. Are they ready to get it done? How are things progressing? Let's go to BYU camp. Going to hear from Dallin Holker first, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. How's the process going for you? We, we hear good things, but how's the process of getting back to where you want to be going? Uh, I think it's going good. That The first few practices are definitely a little just weird getting back into football and playing football again and just trying to remember how to even play football. But uh, it feels really good just every day. I feel like I'm learning again, getting back back to my feet and where I want to be. Uh, Jake, go ahead. Yeah, Dallin, coming off of a mission, is there any physical advantage that you feel like you've picked up from that time off? Uh, I mean, I definitely feel like I've, like my body has matured more and uh, I feel more comfortable in my body now. And especially just after that first year, learning a bunch of things and uh, now going into my second year, I feel like there's a, um, a lot of advantages that um, I have now. We saw you in a pretty multifaceted role when you were at BYU as a freshman. Do you envision kind of playing that same type of a role, or are you just willing to fit in wherever? Um, yeah, I'm willing to uh, do the same thing, but, I mean, whatever it really takes for us, the team to win and to be the best that we can be um, is what I'll, I'll try to do. Okay, go ahead, Trevor. Hey, Dallin. So between you and Isaac Rex, you have a really fantastic tight end room going into the season. What do you think is going to be your biggest strength in adding to the amazing year that Isaac Rex had last year? What do you think you two can do to complement each other so that, you know, whoever's playing quarterback can find you both open on the field? I mean, it's always good to have, um, especially in our tight end room, it's really talented tight end room. So, I mean, uh, it's good that when one of us comes out that the next person can come right back in and and keep doing good and uh, keep killing defenses. So it'll be good um, to have us both in there and to have all the tight ends in there together. Let's go Sean and then Jay. Yeah, Dallin, kind of just following up on that a little bit. How deep is this tight end room? Because we obviously know what you did during your freshman year. Uh, some of us have been following you for, for a while. We know what, what Isaac did last year. I don't know how much you've been caught up to speed on all that, too. But how, how deep does this group go? And is it is it a group that you could see uh, coaches kind of maybe figuring out ways to get multiple multiple sets of you guys on the field at the same time, even? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's um, – about six or seven of us right now in the tight end room, and I mean any of us, any of us can really play. Um, it's competitive and, and it's fun. And I, I definitely feel like uh, there's different um, different ways that we could all uh, help out the offense when we're in. Yeah, uh, Sean asked the question. I was going to ask uh, Dallin, so I'll just throw out one. Uh, who's the best golfer on the team? Who? I guess you guys went to Top Golf uh, yesterday. Who? 
Who's the guy I want in my foursome? <laughs> um, I was, I was going to say Jared, but he just walked in, so I don't want his head to get too big. So I'd probably have to go with, um, let's see. No, either Jaron or, or Baylor. I heard they're both pretty good. They're too scared to go with me because I know I'd beat them. But So probably one of those two. All right, thanks. Okay, Bryce and then Greg. So, Dallin, since it's been about three years since your last um, action on the football field, what do you feel like you have added to your game that they that we may not recognize from these past from the last time you played? Uh, yeah, I kind of just experience. Uh, when I came in, I was 18 years old. I didn't really have know a lot of things or or even about football. But I feel like that time away, I was able to mature a lot and especially by going on a mission, just learn different things and um, be able to learn and to grow. So I think that's helped me out a ton. And now going into my, my sophomore season, I'm 21. So it's uh, a big difference. <laughs> so also to like add on that, for those who may not remember when you did play, what would be the, like the biggest asset to your game or your biggest strength? Um, like while, when I was my first year? Uh, yeah. Um, I feel like I'm just, uh, I mean, I'm taller and I'm bigger, but I can still uh, run and uh, do those types of things. So I think just be able to be bigger and be able to run fast. <laughs> hey, Dallin, uh, maybe you've talked about it in the past and I've missed it, but 32 is not the most common a tight end number, but it is a pretty big number at BYU with Dennis Pitta. Is there a Pitta connection between you and him and that number? And is it something you're aware of? Uh, I'm definitely aware of it. I mean, I respect his game a lot and try to watch it and try to replicate what he does. Um, but my freshman year, that just gave me the number, so I stuck with it, so I really like it. But uh, I'm happy to, to try to represent it the best that I can. So it was total luck that you got 32. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yep. All right, Mitch, last question. Yeah, Dallin, uh, I remember the, the seeing the photos when you first came to BYU. You were in like a junior jazz or something with Zach Wilson. Uh, what was it like out in the mission field? Did you get wind of all the kind of craziness that Zach was creating in college football last year? And what was it like seeing him become the number two pick? Yeah, no, it was, it was pretty crazy. I remember uh, when, I, when I left, actually, um, to go on my mission, Zach texted me. And he's like, oh, like, congrats. Like, I'll see you later and stuff. And I was like, I was like, yeah, at least we'll get one more year when I get back. And then he's, he texts me back saying that we're not going to get another year. So that shows the confidence that he had in himself. Um, but it was pretty crazy. I remember my parents calling me and telling me, like, yeah, he's projected to go top 10. And then it was, like, top two. It was super cool. And I'm super ha uh, happy for him. What do you think – or what's kind of the, the chemistry? Because you got to play with Zach in your first year. Um, in, in the back half of the season. What, what's been maybe the chemistry you formed with this current crop of quarterbacks that uh, sound to be pretty good? Um, I mean, I was with him, uh, with the other quarterbacks too, my first year. I came in with some of them. And so we're always doing workouts together and, and we're always together. So it's a family here. So it's not really like anybody's ever left out or anything like that. So we're all really close, uh, a close group and it's fun to be around them. There's Dallin Holker now. 
Here's Fessy Sataki, the receivers coach. Yeah, Fessy, uh, maybe, maybe could you describe what's the, uh, maybe the intensity, physicality of practice, uh, kind of in the, the dog days of camp right now, what's been maybe the, the, the vibe of practices this week? That's been one of the more promising things for me just in the big picture of, of the team is the intensity, the, the passion, the energy that's uh, that we're seeing right now right in the thick of camp. And I think that right there is just a product of, of the culture, you know, of the leadership we have on this team. And, and um, I've been really, uh, really pleased with the, the energy and the excitement that these guys are just playing you know in the the toughest part of fall camp you mentioned leadership who, who are some of those individuals on the offensive side that you've noticed taking on more of a leadership role on, uh, this year um, first guys that come to mind, just the, obviously our, our, our three quarters, three quarterbacks battling out, done a great job um, on the O-line. Harris Lachance is, is a guy that always sticks out to me, how vocal and how, how much energy that guy has every single day, whether things are good or bad. James Empey's always a solid um, leadership figure, does his job. Receiving room, um, you know, Neil Gunner do a great job. Nakua Brothers, so much personality and energy. They do a great job. Um, Keanu Hill does a, an unbelievable job. Our running backs, Lopini um, and Tyler, you know, are guys who who have always, you know, just kind of shown leadership in the way they play. But I've seen them more vocal this year than I, I you know, they haven't shown in the past. And then, um, you know, Isaac Rex, Down Holker. I mean, some of those key positions, those guys, one, one of the things that makes them great is their leadership uh, qualities as well. They're all a part of that, the energy we see every day. Okay, go ahead, Jay. I'm just curious, are you ready to share kind of your receiver's depth chart with us yet, or are you still a little bit away from, from nailing that down? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not ready yet. I'm, I'm, I mean, I think it's, it's taken shape, but, but, um, you know, there's still, there's still things I got to figure out uh, and work through. Um, I, I can't say that Neil and Gunner, you know, it's not a surprise are, are two guys that, you know, we're, we're going to be investing heavily in They're proven guys. Um, you know, but after that, there's, there's a plethora of receivers who, um, with a little bit more time and reps, you know, I can start to, um, discuss that more. So the video for, we saw from the scrimmage uh, looked like you've got some newcomers that are that are showing well. Can you kind of give us an idea of what maybe new faces we might see this year that are kind of moving up a little bit? Yeah, um, newcomers as in like their first time here or just guys who haven't played a lot like in or the past? Just, just who's, besides the, the guys we know about, maybe who are some guys that have yeah. kind of surprised you or impressed you that maybe we don't know that much about? Yeah. Yet? Keanu Hills had a had a great fall camp. He's one that just, with time and more experience, gets better and better, um, in, improves in, in his receiver play and understanding our offense. Chris Jackson is another one who's taken such a big step in terms of just the mental part of, and knowledge of the playbook. He's he's super comfortable, and, and I completely trust him, um, you know, understanding the playbook. Um, Braden Cosper, unbelievable camp. Um, and then, you know, the Nakua brothers, I know they're, they're on a limited basis right now now but when they go they've they've shown and proven that they got the playbook down and, and can make plays when the ball comes their way um you know Hobbs Nyberg is another one who's when, when he gets his his uh, shots you know he 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 takes advantage of them um I know when you start naming guys you run the risk of forgetting guys but I can go down the list every guy's done something well but those are just some of the guys that have um have really stepped up this camp go ahead 
Bessie, uh, Kalani's mentioned in the past that, you know, he'll more likely than not defer to, to A-Rod and you when it comes to the quarterback decision. Uh, what input will you give uh, to, to A-Rod in the decision? What's maybe been your observations of these quarterbacks? Just my, my, my perspective from a receiver standpoint, um, I think there's two components to that. One is I know what my guys, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty vocal and, you know, and, and positive about the different quarterbacks and what they bring and, and, um, you know, little things, how, how, how the ball comes out their hand and, and, um, you know, some of that stuff from the receiver side. And then there's just my side of, of whatever I know from the little bit of quarterbacks I coached. And then, um, just another voice in the coaching room. A-Rod's always been great at being, you know, including everyone and, and getting our opinions. So that's kind of how, where I see my role. Nothing, nothing crazy. Just giving my opinion from, from receiver perspective and um, from my own individual one. One of the younger names in the receiver room that I wanted to, to touch base with you on is, is Cody Epps. I know he's banged up a little bit in spring and, and dealt with some uh, injuries here and there in, in fall, but how's he coming along? Is, is he healthy? Where, where's Cody at? He's progressing. He's one that we're, we're still um, just being very, very careful with. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a foot deal and that's not something you want to, you want to push. So um, in terms of he's ready mentally, there's no doubt in my mind, he's so competitive, but he's someone who I'm just, you know, slow playing and I'm not forcing it. Um, so yeah, that's why we haven't seen a ton of him this fall. Thanks, Fessy. Jeremy, yep. go ahead. What's up, Fessy? How you doing, man? Good. What's up, man? Um, so you mentioned the uh, Nicole brothers are on a limited basis right now. Are they pacing to be available and play against Arizona? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. That's, that's the plan. So, and what have you seen from them that has impressed you to where you feel like they could make an impact this season? Uh, just their ability to, to make plays. I mean, they, when the, they have a knack for going and getting the ball, um, understanding um, the concepts that we have, knowing, you know, where the ball is going to be. And, and they bring um, they just bring a lot of personality to our room. I, I know that's something that you don't see in statistics and numbers, but that's huge. When you have guys that have a natural um, ability to lead and to bring energy um, and passion to the field, like you value that stuff as a coach. And so the fact that they can couple that with, their ability to make plays and pick up this playbook are, are things that I think are keeping them on track to for us to see a lot of them this year. And th- did they integrate right away really well, or did it take a second? Right away. Right away. And the reason why one, I think they're going to fit in no matter where they go. That's just their personality. Um, but the other thing is just the credit to our room man. they to those guys, no egos, uh, welcome them in with open arms right away. And then that trickled out to the rest of the team. I just think the culture of this team and the way everyone's taking them in is, is just more proof of, of the family unit and bond and the culture that we have here. Okay. Last question, Greg, go ahead. Hey, Fessy, um, I know you're busy with your own thing, obviously, but have you gotten any sense uh, of the buzz Dax is creating uh, with Washington? And, and I'm sure you're not surprised that he's opening eyes. What helps him do that at a high level, do you think? Uh, his ability to just stay calm and who he is no matter what. Um, when, and Dax is, was like that last year when things were going really good or when, when you know, things were, were a little tense, he was the same person. So I'm not surprised. I've been able to fortunately to be, to stay in touch through text, just talked to him the other day and just got kind of got his opinion on things and how things are going. I'm so proud of him. Um, I know he's just going to con- continue to keep doing well. And, and I think the future is really bright for him. And what does it mean to have, I mean, presuming he sticks, have, have, have BYU receivers 
um, you know, contributing at the next level for this program. Yeah, it, it means a lot. You know, it just it's, it, it just sends the message to, most importantly, our guys right now in the room that, that they can accomplish their goals. You know, we preach that as a staff that you come here to BYU, you can accomplish all your goals that you can anywhere else. And, you know, when, you, when, when guys go to the NFL and specifically in the receiver room, that keeps that message flowing strong. And then it sends a message to all the recruits and the potential uh, players here, um, you know, that are going to play for BYU that, that you, can, you can go accomplish your dreams, whether you come in as a highly touted recruit four-star, five-star guy, or whether you walk on and, and don't have many scholarships that you'll come here, you'll thrive, you'll get your opportunities, and if you make the most of it, you'll be able to, to accomplish your goals. There's Fessy Sataki at Cougars Camp. For more on the Cougars, we got Dick Harmon coming up and Chris Camerani on the Utes later in the hour. But Dick's next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Dick Harmon, sports columnist for the Deseret News. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret, despite a couple days of rain, that Utah is still in extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Dick, good morning. Good morning, fellas. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys? We're good. good. How are you? I'm I'm. And this smoke is killing me. It's just killing me. It's cutting down everything you want to do outside. It really is, yes. And the rain will help with that, but then the rain has its own problems, apparently. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to get on the radio, and we're going to talk sports. That's what we're going to do. Well, good idea. All right. <laughs> so I'm uh, curious, as you hear another season, and, you know, why not be optimistic in the preseason? Because there's no point in being pessimistic and beating yourself up. But how much of the optimism that you're hearing you think is warranted? What have you heard that's on target? And where do you think it's maybe misplaced and overstated? Oh, man, that is a great question. Um, and multi-parts, too. Yeah, jump um, in anywhere you like. You get to ignore the part you don't like. Well, you know, I think the enthusiasm that Kalani has is probably real because he uh, he's put a, invested in a lot of recruits that he hasn't had the chance to coach until the last couple of years. And he's coming off 11-1, and one and they think they have uh, momentum off of a big bowl game in which uh, Jeff Grimes and uh, – uh, Eric and Mateos were not there, so basically some of the, the guys in the room were able to go and produce a great big bowl win, on, you know, on the road against uh, Central Florida. So I, I think the fact that they got in 12 games and a lot of other people didn't, I think he thinks he's got depth and experience, and a lot of players were able to see playing time, and uh, I think all those things combined to, to put a positive spin on what he's trying to do out there with these guys. And the negative may be overblown. Is it's going to be hard to replace Zach Wilson? Let's face it. This kid has a tremendous talent. Uh, uh, he, he's got a great arm. He was very accurate, and I think the accuracy is something that's going to be hard to be replaced by any replacement that they have, because Zach was simply that good. I do think there's a warranted uh, positivity in the fact that the running back core is all intact and back, and they're deep. 
and their wide receiver core maybe as deep and as talented as I've seen in in decades here in Provo. In a tight end situation with uh, Isaac Rex, a guy that got 12 touchdown passes tied for the lead and the nation is back. So I, I think some of it is justified statistically and, and experience and performance-based, and others are just question marks that you have to wait and see what happens. How about the defensive backfield? It seems like they've got a lot, a lot more bodies, and the bodies that they have there are not guys that they sort of scooped up uh, because they may be a junior college kid who fell through the cracks or maybe like a Brian Logan who's a little on the small side. It seems that they actually have some potential players there, and so from that respect, uh, they might have some more talent across the board than they've had in a good while. You know, I, I think if I were to pick one thing that was going to surprise people and has surprised people and will, it is that what you just mentioned. I, I think uh, D'Angelo Mandel is a real player. Malik Moore, we've seen just the, the, the short time that we've been allowed to watch. He's a playmaker. Um, these are not small little corners like Brian Logan. These guys are all over six feet tall, uh, 5'11 at the least, uh, 180, 190 pounds. They can run. They're fast. Probably as good as man coverage uh, secondary as BYU's had in in a long, long time, maybe since 1996. So I think these guys will surprise you because they will be in position. Like Chris Wilcox, they do have size. They have range. Um, They're confident. I think uh, General Guilford's done a great job uh, along with uh, Ed Ed Lamb and, and getting these guys specifically uh, with with the, uh, the the tangibles that you can measure the size and the speed and, and then develop them and and I think that would be probably the story of this team is that uh, the corners are probably better than a lot of people think BYU you can do. So a lot of what you say about the secondary, I've heard there seems to be some consensus building around that, but the position group where there doesn't seem to be any consensus, I'm going to have to default to a PK position, which of course will lead PK to take a victory lap that will annoy me to no end, but nonetheless, that's where we are. Uh, You know, he says, well, we'll find out on Saturdays, that's the great thing. And I guess that's where I'm going to find out about the defensive line because I don't hear any consensus on that. There are people who think it'll, it's going to be great. There are people who think it's going to be good. There are people who raise an eyebrow and wonder if it's going to be the team's Achilles heel. Which, where, where do you fall on the spectrum? Well, I, I think I'll, I'll add a little bit of a different uh, observation to that. It'll be different. So, you know, it, it'll be different in terms of its size uh, and mobility. You don't have a Karis Tong there that's going to plug up and take on two blockers and, and, and you know push somebody back into the backfield so far that they knock down the quarterback, which he did a few times. But but I think that they have some more agile athletes that can go around people. Uh, they're a little bit quicker. I think Tyler Batty, he only played four games, but he led the team in sacks, and he's a backup. I think Lorenzo Fotea, is, uh, he's got talent. Uh, Tinsley uh, Mahi, he's, he's good. Uh, he's got size. He's a great athlete. Um, Earl uh, Tuito Mariner and uh, um, I think Uriah Luatea, Peyton Wilgar. Peyton Wilgar, I think, is going to surprise people. He'll play a little bit of defensive end. He's a linebacker, uh, but he's a player. Uh, I visited with his dad who lives in Las Vegas, played with BYU back in the 60s. Uh, the guy's got the bloodlines, and he is a playmate. You might remember, I think it was against Southern Cal, the interception that he made out in the flats. But I think they've got versatility, and they're different. I think that's the word that I would use, Dave, is that there's just going to be a different defensive line than BYU's had. And the, and the linebackers will be a big part of showing the four- or five-man front and being active in that front, front seven. 
Some talk about Kalani and being extended and not being extended and, you know, how long they're going to let it, let it play out. And I've had some people around the program, I'm sure you've had too, that have complained to, an, to a degree is that uh, the administration lavishes love on Mark Pope and extends him before he even starts his second season. And Kalani, they sort of twist it in the wind. And, and what are they going to do again there? Uh, and I'm wondering, how do you view this situation? Is it just a matter of getting around it, getting around to it? Or they're not quite as sold on Kalani as they are as Pope? What's your take there? Well, I, I think it's more who's got the pocketbook. I, I you know, that's a good observation. But you, you have Mark Pope being backed by the owner of the Utah Jazz, a good friend, a confident, a person that's put up money for him at Utah Valley and at BYU, and has given him about what they want. I mean, these two guys are buddies. But on the other hand, now you've got Kalani coming in with the guy with Bill Barr, uh, this Greer guy, and it's his buddy, and it's his good guy, and he's got a paycheck. Uh, uh, a pocketbook and that's pretty deep and and so Kalani now has his guy in his corner that's developed over the last year and they're coming up this Sunday with a big big blockbuster announcement what you're seeing is is playing out uh the money game and so Kalani's finding his money guy and he's got leverage now because of what's happened uh, with his friend and his connection and uh and I think that in time, if this thing gets worked out, then that money guy's going to step up like Pope's guy stepped up and said, hey, let's extend this guy, and I'm going to be the force behind it to help to help make that happen. So I think the clock's ticking, the relationships are in place, and you got to play out a, a, a money game that just has one step that's already taken last week, and then the next step will come up. But definitely, I, th- I think in uh, talking to those who are very close to um, – to Kalani is that he, he's approaching this with humility. He's saying, I haven't done anything yet. I've got to, I've got to do something. I was working on a project with some family members this summer. I thought I had it pulled off, but when it came to Kalani, he put a kibosh on it and says, no, because I haven't earned the right to do that. And so I think that's where Kalani's coming from, is that he wants to prove even more and then come in with his money back and say, okay, let's get it done. So you think basically that seven and six season two years ago is the one that's kind of the the mark that says he hasn't done anything yet because you've got you can't just win you have to win consistently and what could have been a ten win season with very little imagination ended up being a seven and six season. Yeah, and that happened for a lot of different reasons. I mean, there were some coaching issues, there were some recruit issues, there were some quarterback issues that I think people were strapped with and, and had to use. And then there were some injury issues. So there's a lot of reasons that probably were not Kalani's fault that that happened, but he takes responsibility for it. But, uh, you know, the 11-1, and one, that was a pretty good year last year. Went on extending. But I think that in his mind, and maybe in the mind of some people, there's some mechanisms that have to happen. Um, before they take that step forward, and I think they're in the works. Yeah, I'm fascinated by the money people because the fact is that if he puts together, say, they go nine and three this season, maybe even ten and two, well, I think would probably be the best case scenario for the sake of argument. Uh, do that. There's going to be openings in the Pac-12. I mean, uh, Herm Edwards looks like he's on shaky ground. Who knows? There's a, guys move on. Guys get fired. So the point being, and certainly with Mark Pope, too, uh, the enthusiastic marketing machine that he is is just a, a genius in that regard, that they're going to have opportunities to move on. And BYU, in a just sort of a crazy way, has sort of prided itself in not... 
uh, paying market value. And so you could potentially lose either one or both of these guys, which would be a shame because it seems like they're set up for success. Do you think that at that point, BYU is willing to up its game as far as salaries, not necessarily the literal going rate, but close to it? Well, I think they have to. I mean, if they want to keep in this game and keep things rolling as an independent, then they have to be, they have to have people, you know, in in charge that are going to help them to do that. And I think the the best, uh, probably case of that is the uh, female uh, non-LDS track uh, and cross-country coach that they elevated and gave her a title and more money and uh, made her one of the first the non-LDS head coaches in recent memory. It's been a few years since that's happened, but they, they shifted gears, they stepped up, and they did what they needed to do. And I think that they'll need to do that, yes. And I think that they have the people in place. You know, BYU's salary is going to be X, but, but the money comes from the outsiders and funds and the coaches' circles and other things that build uh, the salaries that they need. Those, those are done... Uh, through different organizations connected to BYU but outside of BYU. And I think you've seen that with Polk, with the owner of the Utah Jazz, and you've seen that with Greer right now with the Built Bars and what he's done in funding literally every single BYU player in the program. So when you talk about those organizations uh, being outside, how much are they controlled by BYU? How much say does BYU have? And how much are they really freelancing? Oh, they, they have control. BYU is an organization that will not let an outside entity control what they do. So there's a bridge there. There are people that are liaisons, and there's lawyers involved that, uh, you know, and the Board of Trustees has to approve it. Um, but but the, the salary that BYU has is, is just X amount, and that's probably basic. And, you know, you can grow that a little bit here and there, but the outside money, which is under control, um, you know, that is what determines the amount that you're going to keep a coach with. How about the assistants, too? We had Reno Mahe on the other day, and we're talking about BYU underpaying notoriously, and he basically laughed and said, yeah, no kidding. Uh, do you think they can increase that pool, too? Yeah, but I, I think when you talk to Reno and you talk to anybody on that staff at that particular time, they were in a situation where they were not paid very well at all. So you're talking about a different universe. Um, after that seven-win season, after the struggles that they had, when they brought in Jeff Grimes, and he was able to bring in who he wanted to. That that shifted gears a bit. So when you peek into that history with that group, that's a whole different story. There's Dick Harmon from the Deseret News. When we come back, Chris Camrani from The Athletic, covering the Utes, uh, but also doing a lot of feature writing, including a feature story on the Utes linebacker coach. It's pretty interesting. Chris is next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, time now to talk with one of our favorites. Chris Camrani joins us. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. So secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Chris, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we doing? Well, as usual, I'm confused, and PK's trying to straighten me out, but I think it's really going to take you. 
So <laughs> you went to the athletic and you were writing about the Utes. But then mm-hmm. the Olympics came around and you were writing a lot of features. Mm-hmm. But now you've written some Utes. So are you uh, just staying, ver- staying versatile and valuable? Was that a temporary deal? Or are you, with the Olympics already only like, uh, I don't know, 18 months away or something to the Winter Games, you going to do both? What's, what's your deal? <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time somebody asked me that, DJ, I'd be a very rich man. Nice. <laughs> um, my deal is... is uh, my job has changed a little bit at the athletic. I'm more of just a wide ranging features writer, um, not hyper focused to the local scene um, anymore. I kind of have the the runway to pursue stories not only you know here in Utah but nationally and internationally if I want to. Um, the The story that ran yesterday was something that had been done for a few months. They just kind of wanted to hold it with the proximity of the college football calendar coming up. And yeah, so that, that is my deal. I'm, I'm still gainfully employed by the athletic, which is a great place for me to work. And luckily they've given me the pathway to do what I feel like I'm decent at. And yeah, I'm just a very privileged, lucky man. Well, Chris, you're not only decent at it, you're as good as there is at it, honestly. I mean, you're a storyteller of the truest form, so I could see why they'd have you do that. And I've told you this before. I think you're just absolutely marvelous at it, and it is your calling. And that's where you're going to get, they're going to get their most value, is to have you tell stories in print form. Because literally, I don't think I've read anybody better. So I'm glad that you're doing that, because it's what you should be doing, because you're so darn good at it. Uh, the thing that you spoke of, the story that ran, was the cult. Swan story, who's a linebacker coach. I assume that's the one you're talking about, the linebacker yeah. coach at the University of Utah, who went to Weber on a rodeo scholarship, I believe. And I don't even think that I knew that that existed until I saw that. And so tell us, uh, I think Swan's a great interview. Every time I've interviewed him, probably you know six or seven times, he's been there a couple of years now. He's got a lot of energy, and he's direct, and he's quotable and articulate and all that. So I find it fascinating that he's still doing the rodeo. Tell us about that story. Well, first off, the check is in the mail. PK, I'm just dropping it <laughs> off. I'm out, in the, I'm out in the rain right now, just getting wet. Um, secondly, yeah, no, so uh, when, when Colton was hired uh, before the start of the 2019 season, that was around the time I was hired at The Athletic a few months later that summer. And back then, my full-time job was being the beat writer of the Utes. And, you know, your first first thing you should do is you should be, you know, reading up and researching on people that might have interesting stories. And sure enough, I go to Utah's website and in his bio, it says that Colton Swan went to Weber state on a rodeo scholarship. And like you, I had no idea that that was even a possibility. So start kicking the tires with the SID department and, you know, say like, is there an avenue that I could, you know, sit down in Colton and Colton and talk to him about what this era of his life was like. And I come to find out that that era is nowhere near over. He still <laughs> competes in team roping events across the Intermountain West any chance he gets um, every summer. And uh, this was actually a story that was targeted to be done in the summer of 2020. But as we know, COVID kind of derailed um, lots of lots of plans. So I had to keep this thing on the back burner for a while. And luckily enough, um, through the uh, cooperation of Colton and the SID department, we were able to kind of nail down 
an ideal time to go watch him compete. And it turns out I got to go to lovely Rock Springs, Wyoming. Great place. I would recommend visiting there 10 times out of 10 and got to kind of glean um, a lot about this guy who's a pretty unique person, not only a football coach that I think a lot of people believe is one of the you know, really good young and up-and-coming assistant coaches on the West Coast, but also a guy who um, has a really fascinating backstory as an underdog from a small town in Idaho who kind of had to really work his way up uh, uh, not only the football scene, but also the rodeo scene as well. So I think it would be a safe assumption then that the toughness that it takes to compete in rodeo and get uh, battered and bruised and all that kind of stuff translates well to linebackers coach. I mean, he was made to do this. I mean, listen, the the stories that I heard about this guy growing up, um, yes, the answer is yes. And I think there, there's a, uh, a differentiation between rodeo cowboys and actual cowboys. And I learned this because Colton told me this there are cowboys who get to have, you know, the luxury of living the life that they get to travel around and, and compete to win money um, in various disciplines on the rodeo circuit, which is tough. I get it. But there are also cowboys who grow up actually ranching and waking up at 3 a.m. and, you know, digging fence posts and resetting fence and all of this stuff that Colton did with his grandfather um, on his 10,000 acre farm in Southwest Idaho growing up. So like Colton kind of had both um, experiences. He grew up understanding what it was like to run a a cattle ranch, literally, um, with his grandfather and his brothers, but also, you know, translated a lot of that skill set to competing in high school rodeos in Idaho and eventually, um, you know, made it to Weber on a a rodeo scholarship. And yeah, I mean, I, I think if you've never been to a rodeo, I think nothing against I mean football is different I would say like you know rodeo folk are, are are tougher on the whole just because it's it's a very unforgiving lifestyle it's not guaranteed you 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 pull, you pour so much time and effort and money into something that might not pay out you know you're you're gassing up your horse trailer you're gassing up your truck you're driving to basically any potential spot that can help you sustain a very unique lifestyle and frankly a, a dated lifestyle that we don't get to see that much anymore. So it was really, really rad to be able to go out there and, <laughs> and, and see that this is very much still part of the culture of, of uh, this country. It was really cool. This is changes subjects uh, and I don't know what you can address on it, but I wanted to bring it up because as I've been following stuff with all this conference thing that's been going on with mm. the Texas and Oklahoma and a potential alliance uh, among these other conferences, what do you got the 12 or no, the Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12, it seems like the athletic is really, really committed to staying all over this stuff and mm-hmm. trying to find out as much information. And that's, from my perspective anyway, is what I've been able to observe. Uh, have you had conversations with people who are involved in this? Because it seems like they're doing a really good job of trying to keep abreast of all the news. Yeah, I mean, the the folks at the College Football Vertical at The Athletic has really kind of led the way, I think, in terms of covering the hard news side of this. You know, colleagues like Max Olson and Nicole Auerbach, Chris Vanini, all the way down to some of the beat writers in the Big 12 and SEC country, they've, they've just done a phenomenal job. And 
it's it's really cool to be able to see in real time because these folks are really really good at what they do and um you know i think so much of this job usually normally is not easy but you know that there there is a there's a pattern that you fall into with seasons and you know ebbs and flows of of news cycles but this year with the NIL developments and then kind of the, the bombshell of Texas and Oklahoma leaving so many of the folks at the athletic have been tasked with really just kind of, you know, digging into the old hard new style uh, reporter chops and they've, they've just done a phenomenal job doing it. And um, I, you know, haven't really been pulled into much of that yet. Maybe I will be later on down the line. I don't know. But from an outsider's perspective, it's uh, it's something else to see. I mean, I think like I, I, I guess the model is <laughs> as much as college football fans want to believe that they're exactly like European soccer fans because I know the crossover is so obvious. It's just I think it's in a, a going to eventually become a pseudo Champions League style event where you are only really pitting the, the, the quote-unquote best of the best across the country with each other. And we're going to start seeing some angling soon, guys. I mean, sooner or later, everybody's going to put their chips on the table to try to attach themselves. The tentacles are going to be out, and it's going to be really interesting to see how this thing plays out. Well, there's been a lot written about the 4 million games. I, the, the game that can get 4 million viewers is a big event in college football. Well, you have to have the best teams play the best teams to get that. But if the best teams only play the best teams, then suddenly you're going to have blue blood programs struggling to get to 500. So do you think the elite are really going to separate themselves? Or do you think the elite are going to make sure they play some big money games? Maybe a few more than they have been. Maybe the SEC playing 10 conference games was a little sign towards the future, but hey, it's worth having uh, Illinois and uh, <laughs> Rutgers and Oregon State and uh, whoever else around because you need some W's. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's going to be a um, crossroads moment in that a lot of powerhouses are going to have to decide between payouts and you know, competitive potential because we know that the cream of the crop, the the top, you know, 5%, your Bama's, your Georgia's, Ohio State's, Oklahoma's, Texas's, whomever, they're always going to be in the mix. But um, these other folks that you're bringing with you, what, I mean, I think, unfortunately, they just won't have as much, you know, saying power because they will just have been felt lucky enough to be brought along. And, um, unfortunately, I, I'm, I fear that that's going to be the case, but um, you make a great point. I mean, how are you going to sell to so many of these other fan bases that are, going to, that are going to, in theory, be involved when they're likely just brought along to be, I don't want to say kind of like the, the, the doormat for the rest of these powerhouses, but listen, guys, I, I think, especially in this country, we're obsessed with perennial winners we have no concept of what it's like to really work hard for earning something and that's why i think like the the comparison to the the european soccer model is so spot on is because over there like you just feel lucky enough to be in the conversation i mean that that is a win in of itself whereas here if your team isn't competing to be a national champion every year your fan base is so delusional that they're like why should i care 
I, I mean, I, I honestly think that most fan bases operate in that realm of logic. And I think it's a very flawed realm of logic, but it's a reality nonetheless. So it's interesting to see what's going to happen to the Pac-12 as we know it, because one of the things that works against them, you know, financially and having to play these late games, I think going forward from a television perspective can actually possibly even save them because they do have that late window that they can utilize. But at the same time, I'm wondering, you know, the blue bloods that you speak of, the big dogs, so to speak, in the Pac-12 if they see, well, Texas and Oklahoma did something outrageous, what can we do? Is there a possibility of us maybe even forming their own little conglomeration, even if it's just four teams or whatever? I, you know, the possibilities are somewhat endless to a degree. Uh, what do you? What is your thought as far as the future of the Pac-12? Because it seems like it can go in a number of different directions. Yeah, I mean, my colleague Max Olson reported last week that there have been talks between the Pac-12, Big Ten, and the ACC, and that, you know, they're very preliminary, but (laughs) all the cards are on the table, and um, I think it's a cliche and it's getting overused, but people just don't want to be left behind, and from a Pac-12's perspective, um, they're going to have to figure out, um, you know, how they can maintain staying power. I agree with you that maybe the certain time slots work in their favor going forward. But I think there is also a world guys in which individual schools might be looking out for one a and one B and usually one a and one B are themselves. And um, there could be a world in which things splinter apart and I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, There, the pressure that is money and, um, you know, attention, national attention, TV deals, just being included. The feel of inclusion is going to be a very heavy draw for presidents and chancellors and, you know, boards across the Pac-12 footprint. And um, we're just going to have to see how this thing plays out. So, so much for this whole collegiality thing, huh? <laughs> That's gone. I mean, <laughs> I mean, did it ever really exist, though, guys? I mean, I think everybody was just faking it the whole time. Let's be honest. It, it, finally, the mask is, is ripped off. It, it took too long. There were too many decades in which we were pretending that we were all high and mighty. But no, I mean, at the end of the day, this thing was always about the, the dollar, the mighty dollar and who can get paid and who can compete. And the rea- I mean, like the NCAA is you know, its own fallacy in and of itself. Well, we'll leave it right there, Chris. We have uh, appreciate having you on. Can you tell us what the next thing is, or will that mess it up? Someone will mess up your story if everyone knows what you're working on. Uh, no, I mean, it's going to be everything. Like, there will be some, you know, some NBA-related, you know, big picture, you know, long-form stuff in the near future. Um, really anything that, I find interesting I'll be able to kind of um, tackle and it'll be a lot of random stuff like I'm not going anywhere I'm still you know calling Salt Lake home so when when need be I'll be pulled in but um, there will there will be stuff and I'm sure that um, I will be lucky enough to be back on the show pretty soon (laughs) (laughs) thanks Chris we appreciate it I appreciate it, guys. That's Chris Camrani from The Athletic. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are on the way. Stay with us.